Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Sensing presence in another. In this episode, Eckhart answers questions on a variety of topics. What is the soul? Is it possible to awaken when we are depressed? And how do we sense presence in another? Eckhart says we experience the presence of others when we release our conceptual thinking about them. He says when we let all that go, a space opens up and we are free then to experience what is sacred in others and in ourselves. Hi. Hi. So my question is whether there's an exercise or a practice that can help us sense the presence in a tree or another person, or uh, really in anything. So. Right, right. Thank you. Well, it's not so much an, a practice or an exercise, but it's a way of being with, let's say, something natural, a flower, a tree. People are more difficult. It's easier very often to be present with something natural than a human, especially initially as you become familiar with, with this state of consciousness. The secret is to, first of all, give yourself some time to, just to be with it, to be. The secret is giving it attention, which means mostly you look at it. You look at it and you give yourself time to just be with it. You look at it, you could be outside a tree, it could be a potted plant or even just one flower. But trees are most wonderful, wonderful things, wonderful beings. So you, you look at a tree, give it attention, give it attention. Look both at the details of the tree, like leaves or little branches, and then look at the totality of the tree. Give it attention so that you don't think about it. The seeker is not thinking about it. Then even the notion of tree goes away because if you don't have the concept of tree in your mind, then who knows what it is you're looking at. The concept of tree limits it. Because when you have the concept of tree or even or the name of the tree, that limits it because then you think you know what it is. <laughs> but the amazing thing is you don't know what it is. Just because you call it something, you still don't know what it is. It's a mystery. But you lose awareness of the, the fact that, that this is a deep mystery the moment you name it and you completely believe that's what it is, now I know. You don't know, you just attach a, a concept or mental sound to it. 
that's a well this happens i know what this is called it's the norfolk island pine from the norfolk island in the south pacific <laughs> that's where it was first seen by a european but as you other humans saw it before he called it norfolk island pine but that you have to forget that this is not a Norfolk Island pine. Forget about it. <laughs> it's not a tree. Don't impose any concept on it. Just look at it silently. Both the details and the totality. Sometimes you switch to the totality of it. And then occasionally you look at the little details. And then again, the totality of it. And then you remain with the totality of it. And then as you continue to be alert and still and can look at it, there's not only the tree, there's also you're aware of yourself as the consciousness in which the tree is being perceived. You can sense the presence, your own presence, you sense it. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. So there's the tree and there's you. as the perceiving consciousness. And then there is a realization that there's also a presence in the tree, but you can only sense it through your presence, the presence that is in you. There's a shared presence. And the tree, you know that tree beyond conceptualization. You know, you know it non-conceptually. You know its being non-conceptually, but only because you've gone to that dimension within yourself. And from there, you can know the tree. Conceptually, you don't know anything, but non-conceptually, you can sense its being or its presence. In the past times, humans had that naturally because the thinking mind was not quite as developed yet. And they were not yet completely, totally in the grip of their thinking mind. There were still spaces left. So humans in some parts of the world, they may still have it, humans had the ability to perceive the sacredness of nature because that's what it is they did not dismiss it through conceptualization they knew there was something mysterious there <laughs> mysterious means you don't really don't know there's something there's a depth to it there's more to it than meets the eye that's the really what it is just as there's more to you than meets the eye, infinitely more. And so you can sense the beingness of the tree. And then the tree, you could, you could have a, if you have a tree nearby or in your backyard or somewhere nearby, you can choose one tree and go back to it occasionally and commune with it in that way. 
you don't have to become a tree hugger. People, I mean, it's nice to hug tree, but people make fun of tree huggers. You, do, you can hug a tree, but you don't have to. That's not an essential part of it. <laughs> but it's not it's the same can be with us, uh, the pebble. With a human, you have to penetrate through the, the mental stuff. The, the personality can be in the way before you can go deep enough and sense the depths of another human, especially a human that you've known for a long time. So give it attention, be with it. And it always, uh, it teaches you stillness. Everything in nature, except perhaps a noisy monkey or something. Uh, this is why in Buddhism or in Zen Buddhism, they, they use the expression, the monkey mind, because there are some species of monkeys that make a lot of noise. <laughs> And Buddhists, Zen Buddhists, I believe, referring to the human mind, they call it the monkey mind because it never stops talking and making noise. But a, but a lot of nature is, is very still. The trees are wonderfully still. The trees can teach you stillness. You just tune in, give it attention. The tree can teach you how to be rooted in being. Wow. The tree is not in a state of anxiety. It's not in a hurry to grow. It just is rooted, not just rooted in the earth physically, but it's rooted in being. So in nature can teach you stillness, which is wonderful. Flowers can teach you stillness, but you have to give it attention. Let go of concepts. And then we regain something that we lost, that, that is sensing the sacredness of nature. If that's really what is needed, if you re really want to change our relationship with the environment and with nature, yes, we can logically, we realize that we can, cannot go on destroying nature and using it as a commodity and so on. But the important part is to regain our sense of sacredness of nature. And the strange thing is, it's not just regaining. When you regain something that you lost, you regain it at a deeper level. So a, a human who's becoming conscious and, and then communes with nature, in a way, yes, thousands of years ago, humans were also, also able to do that. But there's an added element when somebody has gone through the whole egoic phase and come out the other end, and then awakened there, there is a, yes, a regaining, but with an added dimension of added consciousness. Before it was a natural state, it was natural to be, to regard nature as sacred, to have this reverence for nature. That was a natural state. They didn't know anything, any other that was normal. But now we've gone, we lost it. The, the, now there is a possibility of regaining it. And that's always an added dimension. That's the, that's, that's the evolutionary development. And even when you look out of the window, wherever you are, there may be some nature there. Even if it's just the sky, the sky is also a wonderful thing to, to contemplate. Give it attention. Don't think about it. Don't call it anything. Just give it attention. 
like innocent, innocent perception. Ah, wow. And the sky, of course, is a is a great analogy for the consciousness, the vast spaciousness of the sky. Heaven, sky. <laughs> so the secret is in be be with it. Let go of con any concepts. Realize that you don't know what it is. Realize whenever you attach a label to something, it gives the, you the illusion that you know, but you don't. <laughs> Be comfortable with a state of not knowing what this tree is. And then you know it at a deeper level. So let's see if there's a, another question. Thank you. Thank you. Eckhart, thank you for your teachings, your wisdom, and your wonderful sense of humor. My question is around the concept of soul. Uh, you have in your teachings this wonderful way of illuminating the deeper meaning behind many different philosophies and signposts. And that's really helped me to make a more meaningful connection that supports my process of awakening, even though that's intellectual when it's like, oh, it clicked. Um, but depending on how it's being referenced, soul seems to have both individual and universal qualities, depending on the cultural reference or the religious reference. And I'd really welcome your thoughts on what is soul? How does that relate to consciousness? Thank you. Thank you. Great. Wonderful. Now, to some extent, of course, when we talk about words, it's uh, semantics means the meaning of words. So um, how do we choose to use the word? Often people use the same word and mean different things. Sometimes when, I, for example, when I use the word ego, people sometimes misunderstand because what they mean by ego is very different from what I mean by ego. So often I have to explain this is what I mean when I use the word ego. So what do we mean when you use the word soul? But the, uh, in the first instance, one could say it is the invisible part of you. It is the, the hidden 90% of the iceberg, so to speak, that which is not physical, the invisible you, that obviously is who you are. The, the most important thing probably is to understand that you don't have a soul. It would be truer to say that you are a soul. You are a soul. Now, what that, what that means is, in essence, you are an invisible being. Now, if you move from the physicality where I can see you, you move one step down to your thoughts, already there in the realm of thoughts, which is not the deepest realm, which is still the realm of form, but they're non-physical forms, already there, there is invisibility because you cannot physically, even with the strongest microscope or analytical, scientific analysis, whatever, you cannot actually find a thought. You can have certain 
correlations in the physical realm that may correlate to certain thoughts in the neurons of the brain, but what are the thoughts themselves? You cannot find them. You have millions of memories probably in your, they're all invisible and no scientist would ever be able to identify no matter what instrument they use, even if they cut open your brain, would not be able to identify that invisible realm of thought that's just beneath the surface. It's still form, yes, but it's invisible. And all that is, where does that actually, what does it actually mean? I sometimes give examples to, to make illustrations can sometimes help to people to actually see and feel what I'm saying more clearly. Think of any memory, any of your thousands and hundreds of thousands of memories. You can just ask a question like, um, do you remember your grandmother when you were such and such an age? And at that moment you can retrieve the memory and there suddenly there's your grandmother. Do you remember when you were 10 years old in where you lived, what did it, the, the front door, what did it feel like to open the front door, the handle? What did the kitchen look like or your room? You can go there. Now, where was all that? Where did that live? All those memories, where is, are there atoms in your brain that represent the kitchen that when you were six years old, where you lived, are there atoms in, or molecules or subatomic particles in your brain that stand for your grandmother that you knew when you were 10 years old? Where does all that live? <laughs> it, it doesn't live in the physical realm, but nobody could find it. Or the, there is a correlation, of course, between the brain and consciousness in the same way that there's a correlation between the radio and the music the radio plays. So this is the realm, the invisible realm of we are begins already there. Then you go into the emotional, emotional realm. Where do emotions live? What are they exactly? We, even that we don't know. Uh, the, the, because they're also, yes, there, there is a physical counterpart. There's correlation in the body and the, what you feel in the body are connected, obviously. And, and even thoughts and the body are connected. You can think a thought can create changes in your physical body, but the thought itself is not physical. Imagine biting into a lemon. You cut open a lemon and now you're biting into the lemon and you're tasting it. If you imagine it, you can feel saliva responding, accumulating in your mouth, although nothing has happened thought has created a reaction in the body. <clears throat> and then you move further into invisibility, then you go into all the, sub, the all subconscious, all the memories and the subconscious, all in, we don't know where that lives. Now to some people, the soul is the, the person that people are in this lifetime, the invisible part of that person that goes from lifetime to lifetime, but that's a very limited view of who you are that obviously for some people that they call that the soul and then they say 
okay, when I die, I'm going to meet my grandmother again. Maybe, who knows, maybe you will. But will your grandmother eternally remain your grandmother in some other realm? Is she not going to evolve into something else? Are you going to spend the rest of your uh, life after death as, uh, in a family reunion? Because people say when they die, they need family members. And then what? Okay, then you go on and you're with your family. Maybe you don't even like them, I don't know. So you spend eternity with your family members and nobody ever evolves any further. This can't be right. <laughs> so the, the personalities, they may, this part of what some people call soul is the, the personality with all its memories and so on, but this, then there's nothing deeper. And they believe that remains intact. Either it remains in the realm where the deceased people go, which some people call heaven or whatever it is, or some call it the astral dimension. Either it, it goes there intact and then it remains there intact until who knows. But that can't be right because then there would be no further. And, and you just imagine the very limited personalities that then they would be stuck with an extremely limited personality for, for the rest of your existence in, in some other realm. Dreadful. <laughs> so the the continuation of just this person in some uh, in some invisible form, which some people believe is the soul, that can't be right. But if you go deeper, you and realize that you are not actually an entirely autonomous entity that lives here as itself. You are an aspect of the totality, and you are connected to the totality. And if you go deep enough beyond the conditioned entity into presence itself, the unconditioned consciousness, there you and that transcendent dimension merge into one. You're only an emanation of that. You don't actually exist as an independent entity there. You are eternally an emanation. You're eternally connected to source. You are an emanation of source of like the, the sunlight is an emanation of the sun. You're an emanation of God, actually, to use that word eternally. And that is a deeper meaning of soul, is to realize that in essence, you are a transcendent being that it does not have a life of its own. There's no such thing a life of its own. <laughs> you're an expression of the one consciousness, the one life, and you're eternally connected to that. So there's not ultimately, there's only the, there's the one, the one soul of the universe, the one being, and you are a strand or whatever you want to call it in that, the one soul, you are a strand in that, or a, a cell in, a, to use an analogy from the physical realm, you're a cell, in that universal being and always in one, an essential cell of, the, of that. So soul is deeper than common assumptions of people. They're very, they actually are very limited. So, uh, and again, these are not the very ultimate explanations, but they're approximations just towards the, the truth of 
who you are. Thanks. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Eckhart, nice to be here with you. Thank you for taking my questions. I have a history with suicidal depression from a very young age. I am 32, and this began in my early teens. I have been to therapy, taken antidepressants, and even worked through the 12 steps of recovery. I no longer take drugs, medicinal or recreational and I have made great advances in my spiritual journey. I have a sense of deep eye and I make it a daily practice to connect and live from deep eye. I still have work to do to dissolve pain bodies, but I can honestly say that I'm not afraid to die. I often think to myself, I won't go looking for my own death, but if the universe decides that it's my t- that my time has come, I will be at peace with it. I am at peace with it. Is it possible to be friendly with death, even though I have a suicidal past? Or is this just another form of suicidal ideation that I need to be aware of? And I want to add that as I read it out loud, I know that it is possible to be friendly with death. But I'm at a point where I have a lot of purpose in my life and everything I do from parenting to entrepreneurship comes from deep eye. So I feel like I'm living a purpose, but once that's over, like it's kind of like, it's it's over. <laughs> so that's that's kind of where I'm coming from. Like, is that healthy to have, or is that something that I need to be aware of? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's very good to have uh, acute self-observation as you have, because it's very easy to uh, fool oneself. Uh, but in this case, I don't think you are fooling yourself. It, as you say, it could be to say that I'm not afraid of death could be a, a hidden form of actually longing for death, which you don't. But to be actually to become no longer afraid of death and say, if or when it comes, I'll be fine with it. That is a Uh, it seems to be the case with you, that is a clear sign of spiritual deepening, where you you have realized that uh, the essence of who you are is beyond death, and you're not afraid to die, which I am not either, 
although I'm not inviting deaths necessarily, but um, this, this is one of the most important parts on the spiritual path is to, first of all, to become aware acutely of death, of mortality, to face death and be aware that you are going to die. You already have faced death because there was a time in your life, as you say, when you felt you were drawn to suicide. I had the same in my early life. Suicide was always or very often a great temptation. Even as a child, when I was 10 years old, I remember often thinking about it. And I remember things like we, we lived in a four-story house on, in one apartment on the ground floor. And one day they built scaffolding to paint the house. And you could climb up if you wanted. There were ladders going up the scaffolding to the top floor. And I thought, I was very, very happy. I said, well, while this scaffolding is here, if I have to, I can climb up and jump down and I can commit suicide. That, that'll be my way out. <laughs> I'm so lucky that as long as the scaffolding is here, there's no problem. I can, I can kill myself anytime I want to. And that was quite a relief. <laughs> and that was uh, childhood. Uh, so perhaps it's for some people, it can be a, a good thing to have gone through that and have transcended that. And to become free of the fear of death is a clear sign of spiritual deepening and awakening. And ultimately, that becomes uh, the end of all kinds of fear, because the primordial fear for, for most humans is the fear of death. And many other kinds of fear are subsidiary fears, and they also tend to drop away. And as fear drops away, also other negative emotions that are associated with fear, like anger. Anger often is underneath the fear. People who get angry easily are actually, the anger is hiding the fear that's underneath it. So to go beyond fear is, and the primordial fear is the fear of death, is a very important milestone in one's spiritual evolution. Uh, one of the great shortcomings of our civilization is that uh, it's the denial of death Death is something that absolutely is regarded as a virtually taboo subject, and uh, it leads to overreactions in many situations. Even now that humans are being challenged by the COVID virus, the, the fear of death can easily lead and has in many cases lead to diminishment of the ability to think rationally. Because once fear invades your mind, your ability to make rational decisions diminishes. So fear is kind of a toxic emotion that once it invades your mind, you cannot think clearly anymore. No matter how intelligent you are, once it invades your mind, you cannot think clearly. It's like a virus. Fear itself 
is a more dangerous virus than the actual physical virus that we are facing. So, and the ultimate fear is the fear of death. And many people get very angry with other people for various reasons in our situation with COVID, for example, because they are in a state of great fear. And then if somebody come across somebody who is not doing what you say we should be doing, <coughs> or is doing something that you think we should not be doing, get angry, they get very upset, very angry. Why? Because they're very fearful. Why are they fearful? Because we don't know what to do with death. We don't, we haven't, we've never faced it. In ancient cultures, when, when human beings reach adolescence, they often had to go through initiation rituals, sometimes very dangerous ones. And some of them died in initial, we had to face a dangerous situation like going out into the wilderness or face dangerous animals or going into a cave and being left alone or even being injured physically. Nowadays, you would think this is horrible, horrible. How can they do things like that? But th there was a certain wisdom there uh, a natural wisdom that if you don't face death at some point in your life, you can never go beyond the fear of death and you will never deepen as a human being. So th these initiation rituals, they mark the passage from childhood to adulthood. The adolescent had to face, came face to face with death, the possibility of death. And that brings about a deepening and then the, once you emerge from the ritual, you were, you were an adult. You were not enlightened, but you, you had faced death and there was a deepening that happened in you. So you've, you came also face to face with the death, with the possibility of death. You were even looked at death as I did, as a possible way out, <laughs> a possible solution. And then went beyond that and it brought about a deepening. But now to be in a state where you don't fear death is a, a clear sign that uh, you've come a long way and the deepening has happened. And I don't believe it is a disguised form of wishing for death. It is not from what I can tell by listening to you. It is a genuine, it is the genuine thing. You have gone beyond the fear of death because the deepening has happened. So that's, I'd like to tell you that to reassure you. And but I'm glad you asked the question because it's good to be very observant because as I said at the beginning of the answer, it's sometimes easy to fool oneself. So I'm, I'm glad that you are alert enough and looked into yourself to ask that question. I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I want to just say that the looking in seems a bit crazy making sometimes. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, like when you were saying that a lot of the fear is afraid of dying, I can say that as you were saying that it kind of clicked as to the way I live my life with my son and the way I am in business and relating to people, there, there is no fear. There's a ton of uncertainty all around me, but I'm just confident in what I'm doing. And sometimes that same confidence seems crazy making. It's like, am I crazy or am I just that 
comfortable taking this step. So I appreciate what you say that, you know, a lot of it is a fear of death because then it makes sense that that confidence is coming from a place of abundance, wholeness, stillness, not false ideations. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Occasionally the mind may come in and can question anything mental. So you can sometimes question yourself, well, is that the real thing? Am I really at peace? Uh, so this is what the mind does. So you don't need to necessarily give it too much attention because the, the mind likes it likes to doubt things and so on. So that's that's just fine. But I, I believe you've already uh, you're 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 rooted in in something deeper than that. You're rooted in the in the being. And the, the rest of your life, of course, challenges will continue to come. And once you reach a certain point, a challenge instead of making you more unconscious will make you more conscious. And so that's universally true. Any challenge that you meet, either as a, an individual or, or as society, meeting a collective challenge, either it makes you more unconscious or it makes you more conscious. This is just a, a goes beyond the, my answer to your question, just a general remark. The COVID situation has had this effect on many human, millions of humans. It has made many, many people more unconscious than they were before. And it has made others, a smaller number, but others more conscious than they were before. And this is the case with any challenge that you meet, whether it's personal or collective challenge, it'll either push you, push you down or pull you up. Uh, many people have say they're more aware now, they've grown in stillness and awareness. Many others, because of so much fear, and fear is associated with unconsciousness, so it has triggered so much fear in millions of humans that this fear has become quite toxic and uh, has invaded many humans' minds. And you can see how even the media, they, how they love not just to present the facts, they love the fear. They, they themselves are in the grip of the fear. Most of you have probably become more conscious through, through this collective challenge. Now, what about all those people who have become less conscious, even becoming irrational, attacking others because they're angry with other, other people and so on? Well, their past just takes a little longer because it, this means you suffer, you suffering, you begin to suffer more. And suffering, suffering is also a great awakener eventually. It just takes a bit more time. So as you suffer more and you create suffering unconsciously and eventually suffering, suffering reaches a certain point where you, awakening becomes a possibility. And that's the path for many humans. For many of you who are here with us, suffering as a teacher has fulfilled its function or it's close to fulfilling its function. That's a decisive milestone of transition from needing suffering because otherwise you wouldn't evolve 
to no longer needing suffering and continue with your evolution without needing the teacher of suffering. Once you go beyond that threshold, evolution also speeds up. You, you, you grow deeper more quickly. Suffering is a long drawn out process. It, it, it takes time, it goes on and on. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's, I believe, is the case for many of you. Either you don't need it anymore, you've already reached that point, or you're close to it. Then it's just a little bit more. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Let's have a moment of stillness. Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening. Is there such a thing as a traveler? Not a Delta. Because we know on one flight, Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members. Because at Delta, we know. Refill? Everyone flies their own way. Delta. Keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.